You're listening to the Beauty Business Podcast, and today we're talking all about how to have those difficult conversations that you sometimes need to have with your team, where the whole thing starts, what to do to remove the need to have the difficult part of those conversations, and how to make the whole thing a more positive experience both for you and for your team member, rather than dreading to have to speak to them and what they're going to say back to you. Hi, you're listening to the Beauty Business Podcast, now with over a quarter of a million downloads worldwide. Now, this is the podcast for you if you run an independent beauty salon, a skin clinic, or a spa. I'll help you reach your business goals through simple to understand, practical, and beauty industry-focused business information and advice that I've learned and implemented working with spas and salons over the last 20 plus years. So if you want more money or more clients for your business, or you'd like a bit more control or time back for yourself, then you're in the right place. I'm here to show you exactly what you need to do. Oh yeah, and who am I? My name's Adam Chatterley. I'm your host here on the show. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back. And that's if indeed you are coming back. If this is the first time that you found the show, then welcome to you too. So today we are delving into the somewhat awkward topic of having those difficult conversations that you sometimes need to have with your team. Now it could be inappropriate clothing that they're wearing to work. It could be something they're doing that doesn't quite fit in with the overall brand of your salon or spa. It could be how they behave with other team members. It could be a training requirement or It could obviously be something a bit more serious, but no matter what it is, as soon as you work with others and you're the boss, inevitably you're going to have to be a quote unquote manager some of the time. And that means more often than not doing the difficult things. And inevitably that means having the conversations that you may not really want to have with your team. Now, it's one of the things that we are always least trained for as a manager and often have the least experience with. But by the time that you're there and you need to have a difficult conversation, well, you kind of need to get it right. And often that means people put it off until it becomes a way worse situation than if you just said something a little bit sooner. But don't worry, we're here to help, never fear. And in fact, I am joined today by the first special guest of 2020 who just happens to be an expert on this whole difficult conversations topic. Sue Ingram is the best-selling author of Fire Well, How to Fire Staff So They Thank You For It, and has made a career out of training managers and organisations not only on how to have the difficult conversations, but actually how to no longer need to have them in the first place, or at least to to take the whole difficult bit out of the equation. Now, Sue is a coach and has worked with organisations like Airbus, Tesco, BP, BAE Systems, and many, many further education colleges and universities as well. You're going to see very quickly that we're extremely lucky to have Sue with us today to share not only her knowledge with us on this subject, but also some enlightening and often funny stories from her many years helping managers to have these really essential conversations with their teams. So as we've got quite a bit to cover today, you're going to see why soon. Let's get right into the conversation. Okay, so welcome to the show, Sue Ingram. Lovely to be here. 
Thank you so much for being here. So um, we've already introduced the kind of the the topic that we're talking about today, just in the introduction there that I was just giving. Um, Could you possibly just kind of give us a little bit of uh, background into you, your story, and and how you kind of came to be doing what what it is that you're doing today? Oh, gosh. Well, my background is HR. I've been HR in the City of London, um, in fast-paced IT, Mm -hmm. um, and in retail and in banking and all that kind of thing. And through my HR work, I really realized that the most important thing was the people in an organization. Mm -hmm. And also, I realized how often people didn't know how or when they were failing. So 20 years ago, I became an executive coach. And then in coaching executives, I realized even some quite senior people, they didn't know how to give that crucial feedback for an individual to improve and perform better. And I got, I got, I had so many of these conversations with people saying, and them saying, I just don't know how to do it. I can't do it. That I designed a workshop and then I wrote my book, uh, Firewell, How to Fire Staff. So they say, thank you. And now I'm just spending all my time spreading the message as far as I can about how to have these really essential conversations with staff. I love that. I love that. And I love as well, and I hope we bring some of these out as well, some of the stories that you've got from, from the time you spent actually working with people. And I, I love those yeah. as well. So so you kind of covered it there. So what what in the first place was it that really kind of fascinated you about this area of HR and, and people not being able to have these conversations? Was it that they didn't know how? Was it that they were just afraid of them? What do you think it was that initially... The classic thing is people don't know how to start the conversation. Or they're afraid of what might happen with the conversation. Um, yep. They're afraid that they're going to get shouted at or disagreed <laughs> with, or, or it's going to get it's going to get you know mucky, yeah, or difficult. Yeah. Um, and there's no doubt about it that these conversations are known as difficult because they are difficult in as much as you do need to take some time to plan and prep them. But I don't believe them to be difficult. I don't believe them to be difficult at all. I believe them to be generous conversations Mm -hmm. because um, to leave someone failing and for you to know that exactly how they're failing and not to tell them is perhaps the most unkind thing that anyone can do, let alone a manager. Yes. Yeah. Um, And when you go into these conversations with this kind of generosity in mind and in saying, look, uh, I know you want to do really well because everyone does. Um, and currently you're not hitting the mark, um, and I know how to help you hit the mark. Mm. Can I share that with you? Yep. Um, And then to go on to say, I've noticed this, and this is why I think this is the problem, and this is what you can do to fix the problem. That conversation is generous. Yeah. Because it gives the person the opportunity to improve. So you're saying it's it's kind of initially partly a mindset thing on behalf of the the manager and how they're perceiving this conversation or the the thought of this conversation themselves. Completely, and and the problem is that employment law has got its place, but it but it's play, it's playing scaredy cat to an awful lot of managers, which is a load of rubbish, really, because employment law is basically there to make sure that we are being fair and we are being reasonable. Yeah, and I haven't yet a manager met a manager yet who doesn't want to be fair and reasonable. We just need to be fair and reasonable. So we can't speak out of anger. We can't 
sort of speak wildly. We have to be thoughtful. We have to be considered with what we say. We have to mean what we say. And we have to, and if we do all of that, then we're fine. We're absolutely fine. Um, and it's just perfectly okay just to pull someone aside and say, no, that's not how we, that's not how we speak to our colleagues, no matter how frustrating they may be at times. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and I think one of the biggest things that staff uh, are unaware of is how they communicate. There's a saying that you can't see your own eyelashes. Okay. And um, yeah, everyone's now having a look to see if they can. <laughs> yeah, I did exactly that. I was like, nope, yep, can't. <laughs> no, you can't see your own eyelashes. Um, and consequently, people think, for example, so say, for example, a staff member thinks that they're being firm with a client. Uh-huh. Yeah, being firm with a client. Um, uh, but actually, how it's coming across is really quite intimidating to the client. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't hear themselves. They don't see themselves. You do. Yes. And so uh, the most common form of feedback is around how people communicate. Um, and so to say to someone, look, I know you, you want to be firm around mm-hmm. this issue, but actually how it's coming across, from my perception, is intimidating and if you noticed the client themselves looked a bit shocked and backed away from you which is not exactly the response you want from a client (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) you know there's a clue there there's a clue there it didn't work (laughs) it did not work something went wrong (laughs) yeah um and then the easiest thing to do with that kind of feedback is mimic them is to say this is how you did it this is what you did and mimic them and people go oh did i do that um yes really uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. we'll get into all of this because I know we've we've got you for a good bit of time, so we can really kind yeah. of explore this whole topic. So, um, first of all, where does this all start? Where's the kind of origin of this whole having difficult conversations <laughs> thing? Where does it all okay. begin in the first place? Well, you can't give someone feedback about them not hitting a target or a behavior or an attitude if you haven't made it explicit that that's the behavior, the attitude or the target you want. Right. When I worked in HR and I went and sat in um, feedback conversations, I can't tell you the number of times the line manager said, um, you haven't been hitting this or you haven't been doing this. And the individual concerned looked genuinely blank and went, did you want me to do that? <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, let's stop now. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Because it sounds so obvious as to be, you know, almost yes. not worth saying. But I think but, we've all been there. We've all kind of taken on a member of staff or employed someone or or had someone, even like if it's just been someone in to do a specific job, like a, a tradesperson or something like that. And they've not done it the way you wanted. And you then call them up on this and then they point out that that's not what you told them to do in the first place or you never even were explicit about that. Or you you had an expert and you somehow thought that they were mind readers. Yes. <laughs> and they knew what your version of expert was. Yep. And um, so they've done it in all goodwill and all the rest of it, you know, in a good way. And it's not what you wanted. Nope, no. And, um, the, the secret here is to know what you want. Right. 
no and, and that's easy to do for targets you know like um you know number you know number of clients or a process for example like mm-hmm. um when a client leaves you ask for you know you you uh, talk about product or you talk about uh, booking again and all this kind of thing yeah. so it's easy to do that for those kinds of things but the big missing point that we have is around attitude and behavior yes and most managers don't think about that they know it but they don't think about it um, and they certainly don't recruit for it either. Right. So this whole so thing actually whole, goes right back yeah, to the... Yeah, it goes right to the beginning. Right. Okay. It goes right to the beginning. Because the first thing to do is to think about what is the behavior and the attitude that makes a successful uh, employee for your team, for your mm-hmm. business. Okay. The skills and the certifications and the experience are something separate. But let's think about attitude and... Um, behavior. For example, I worked in a fast-paced IT company and we had customer service engineers that were out on customer site. And there were a couple of things that we really needed for them to have. One, great client-facing skills. Two, the ability to judge when a client comes screaming down saying the kit's fallen over you've got to fix it now is this a genuine emergency costing a great deal of money got to be fixed now even if i have to stay here till two o'clock in the morning to fix it Mm -hmm. or is this a panic that actually you know is not so urgent um and three also um the ability to learn consistently and constantly because it changes all the time yes and we couldn't be forever sending them on training courses otherwise they'd never be at work mm-hmm. um <laughs> they had to just naturally learn all the time around it they had to be a geek around yes. it yeah <laughs> um and so there were other attributes as well but those were the main ones um and so we recruited people that fit those attitudes and behavior and in some cases, we recruited people who didn't have any training in IT, extraordinarily. Enough. Okay. Yeah. And and we were supporting some serious kit in banks. I mean, we, we weren't doing light, fluffy stuff. This is serious <laughs> kit. Um, uh, we obviously, they didn't go out alone. They didn't, out <laughs> you didn't, didn't just throw them out there and go fix that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and we did offer them some training. We sent them away for a week's Sun Microsystems course and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they, if, if they've got the right attitude and the right behavior, then I as an employee can easily give them training and experience because yeah. that's well within my remit to do. I just put them next to someone really senior, really good. Yeah. So they can learn. Okay. But I can't give them attitude or behavior. Okay. So uh, do you think certainly in a, in a smaller organization, like for example, a, a salon or, or maybe even to the size of a spa, do you think it's a common mistake that people try to hire people like themselves? Oh yeah. It's the, mis- it's the first mistake every manager makes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and if you've been like me in an HR and done all the recruitment training thing, yeah. the first thing they talk to you about is unconscious bias and how someone who walks into the salon for an interview and is wearing a blouse that you like, you will naturally warm to and therefore give a better interview to and more likely hire. Mm. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a very difficult thing to get unconscious bias out um, and to really recruit quite quite coldly. 
quite dispassionately. But it's an important thing to do. Um, and the first thing that we are drawn to are people who are just like us, which is why when you are starting out in business, one of the first people you are likely to hire is another entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> yes. And that won't work. Nope. Because we know what happens when you do that. <laughs> well, they, they stick with you for a couple of years, learn everything that you've got to tell them, and then they disappear being very entrepreneurial with your client list. Yes. And I hear. And then the owner goes, but I gave them everything. They were my friend. They were my family. I treated them like family. And look what they've done to me. Well, you yes. had another entrepreneur. So, you know, they were bound to go off and do their own thing at some point. The trick is to hire someone who's not like you, mm-hmm. who is an employee and happy to be an employee and really fulfilled about being an employee. Um, the next thing is to try and get some variance in your team. Um, which is, you know, older, older people, younger people, different personality types, because all your clients are different. So you need to have someone who fits all your different clients. And so you want some variety in your team. And also variety in team does keep it healthy. Um, just think of a team full of one person like Maggie Thatcher, for example. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. You need a bit of variety. So then your job as a manager is to develop your management skills in terms of flexibility and managing lots of different types of people and keeping different types of people happy. Right. Mm-hmm. So in it's terms of, it is, it is a big job. And I think this is something that a lot of certainly salon owners get into and, and sort of think, well, it's just a matter of I hire some people and and then I bring in some clients and, and the world is all rosy. But it's it's very much not that way. And um, you tend to find out the hard way um, in in a lot of these things. So in terms of, so you've already said we we need to sort of really think about the role that you're trying to hire for and hire the right person for that role. Part of that is going to be a little bit skills, but you're saying the attitude of the person is is really the most important thing when it comes to that. And they're the right fit for that job. And they're the right fit for your brand. Right. Okay. Um, Now, we did a lot of work with our brand and our marketing brand to attract customers in. What's our employee? Mm. What's our brand as an employer? And what are we offering to attract the really great employee that's the right fit for us into our business? Now, I really, I really like this idea because there's there's almost two jarring points that you've you've said there, and I want to see how we resolve this. First of all, if you're Thinking, thinking of a salon that could be quite small, so a smallish team, let's say four to seven people, let's say. Um, if you're a small team like that and, and you've maybe got a certain type of client, you know, your brand dictates that your clients are either sort of young and funky individuals or slightly more mature or that kind of thing. Is it not the case that you should hire similar types of staff for those people? Does that then not go against hiring different types of members of staff very good question um no you can you can hire young i mean but if if you're and you can hire old because i know quite a few old people who are funky (laughs) no absolutely i'm not not getting into that that argument there no (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of funky people and how refreshing to get into a young place and 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 it's really funky and there's an older person with beautiful colored hair and all that kind of thing going on just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. It's, a, it's more of an attitude that's got to be right. They've got to be proud of your brand 
They've got to be proud of representing your brand. And if they are, then you've got some, you've got a better chance of getting this real consistency with the communication of your brand to your clients. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different personality types. And I, and I, I could do a whole, I could do a whole piece on personality <laughs> types and how, how people are different. Um, um, but uh, it has, they have to also fit in and be proud to represent you. So to, to know that they're going to be proud to represent you, you're going to have to tell them who you are. Yeah. And say, what is it about this that really attracts you? Uh, how do you think you're going to be able to communicate my brand to a client? These are all kind of recruitment questions that you would ask mm -hmm. to ascertain whether this person's really kind of got you and is enthusiastic about representing you. To got the it. Client. I'm with you. Yeah. And also when we talk about different personality types, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, wildly different personality types. I'm sort of thinking in a small team, in a salon, you know, you naturally, and this sometimes happens naturally or, or you can do it by design, but you know, you've always got that one person who's as well as being a great therapist or stylist, they're also naturally very organized. So oh, yeah. they're yeah. the person that you them. may be also give a bit of admin work to. And then you've got the person who also is quite, you know, numerical and analytical. So they're the person that you'd naturally say, okay, well, you can be in charge of stock. So when we're talking about different personality types, we're not talking like, you know, across the spectrum. We sort of, you know, have little little quirks to their personality that will help the team as a whole. Yes. And there are, there are talking, if I go into personality types, there's four broad, very broad personality types. There's people that are very target status driven. Mm -hmm. There are people who are very creative, inclusive driven. Yep. There are people who are very value driven and look after and are caring of people. Mm -hmm. Then there are people who want to do things right and are very research and analytical driven. Yeah. <laughs> so in a salon, you want staff who are very target driven. They want to go, they want to hit targets. They love this. They love commission plans. They love getting an award. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You want people who are wildly creative and can design the front window and can come up with a spring marketing campaign slogan and are wildly kind of, they're huggy and hello and welcoming to people and very inclusive. You want people who are very caring in as much as they're the ones that think about disabled access and, um, you know, well, so-and-so's uh, walks with a stick, how are, we, how, how are they going to get down, you know, all that kind of thing, that kind yeah. of, that very nurturing, caring approach that's brilliant in a team and then of course as you say the data analyst researcher the person who goes this is the latest technique when it comes to broken capillaries or this is you know we should be looking at this or um this is the safe way to use this then they are just fabulous to have in a team because they they keep everyone um you know doing things the right way Absolutely. so you can have a whole mix of people yeah. that make up a great team let's not forget as well, I think there's also a tendency to think, oh, well, I'm the owner or I'm the manager and therefore I know everything and do everything right. And oh. therefore everyone, should, everyone should, do, should do things the way I tell them to. Whereas actually all these other personality types, if you're, I think if you're a good manager, you will actually go, okay, they're I so mean, much better at this than me. I need to, you know, look to them. The classic, of course, is getting a data analytic person in who loves Excel spreadsheets because we all need Excel spreadsheets and some of us <laughs> hate them. <laughs> um, and it's very hard to be all things to all people and um, you do need to have a mixture come in. And if, you know, I remember when I was worked in HR, we had someone, she was so brilliant. She was an ex-stage manager from a theatre 
And she right. was just so well organized and knew how to put on a show. Well, she did all the Christmas parties. Wow. <laughs> Any party, she did the party. And she was brilliant. And oh, God, was that was that a, a weight off my shoulders? Because I could have done it, but mm. not nearly half as well. And I think these the, these kind yeah. of skills are great because in any small business, there's always going to be these these non-normal day-to-day things like putting on an event, like the Christmas window display, like, you know, the spring marketing campaign, the ball that you put on, the the charity event that you support, all these different kind of things that, you know, your staff are going to love having that variety and being able to do. So it's not just about day job every single day. So having all these different personality traits and being able to employ them in all these different ways, I think just builds an even stronger team. Exactly. And so therefore your job as a manager is to know each of your people, know what their strengths are, know where their interests lie and assign the tasks accordingly. Love it. Okay. So we've already, we've touched on, so it goes back to the interview process, hiring the right person, trying to be as kind of dispassionate, removed from the situation when you are interviewing in the first place. Um, are Are there any tips on that? Are there any things that you can kind of do to help in that process? I think the thing is to really look to your really great employee mm-hmm. um, and think about what attitudes and behaviours do they display that make them the great employee for you and right. then replicate that out. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Obviously, if you have, you may well um, see in the team that they're all highly creative and it'd be really useful to have your analytical, this is how, this is how we're supposed to do things person, do it right person. Mm. Then you might think about getting someone who displays those talents as well to balance the rest of the team out. Got it. Um, but I think the whole thing really is don't overcomplicate it. Just look to your best person. What are the attitudes and behaviours that they do? And how are you going to find out at the interview that someone who's walked in through the door has got those, displays those? And don't just think of one interview. Think of having them in for a day. Think of them giving a treatment to your mother. Think of them coming back to meet the team. Um, all kinds of ways for you to do. When I, when I did interviews, I would often run downstairs and ask my receptionist, what, do you, what did you think? And there oh, were a really? couple of times when the reception says no soon. They were rude to me. Uh, that's wow. It. So they sort of only turned it on because they thought so they, they were they were a different person nice from the me. interviewer. Ah, yeah, wow. they were rude to my receptionist. No way, Jose. You're not in my team. You're out. So um, the other thing in recruitment is take references and make them a telephone reference. Yeah. Not a written reference, phone up. Yeah. Would you rehire? Oh, yeah, I would. I would at any point. If I had a job that looked like this, I'd hire them just like that. Or would you rehire? Um, <laughs> that, that um, there. Tells you everything. <laughs> tells you everything. Even if they go on to go, yeah, yeah, I would. Tells yeah. you everything. And again, I think. So it's a telephone reference um, and uh, always reference. Always yes. reference. Because I think we've all moment who's not referenced. <sighs> right. Yeah. I was about to say, I think we've all at some point been guilty of doing the interview, finding someone that you just think is just so perfect and thinking thinking, well, they've written oh. down they've written down a reference. I don't need to check it because they're just they're, they're so perfect fit. And then you find out that there's a reason. <laughs> I'm working with the companies at the moment and we there was a bit of a there was a bit of a hoopla and a bit of a rush. I won't go into it. But anyway, there was a quick heart. Uh-huh. And with much relief, she appears to be super. Good. 
Then her past employer phoned up him. Ooh. That's never good, is it? No. <laughs> to say she will be good for six months, but watch out. Okay. Okay. And we and so it's been useful for us actually because um, we're now talking about action that they can take to um, to prevent that mm. from occurring. This fall off of performance. Though I suspect it will occur. Okay. All right. So never good good one. So definitely do references. Yes. Definitely do references. And then um, what's your view on probation periods? Definitely have them. Yes. Definitely have them. For one thing, the the, the notice period is short. It's only one week (laughs) during a probation period. So Mm -hmm. if you have to say, out, I don't want you to cross my door again, um, you only have to pay them one week. Uh, so it, it also um, it, it it reminds you to touch base with them and make sure they're okay. Yeah. It also gives you plenty of opportunities to take them aside and say, "This is not how we do things around here. This is how we do it." Yeah. Um, you you know all that kind of thing, um, and it is uh, generally a great thing to do. Also, if you have got a great employee then you can do a bit of a celebratory thing at the end of the probation period and give them the official letter and the thanks and the praise and that you've proved yourself to be really great and this is how you've proved yourself to be great and just keep doing what you're doing, being specific about what that is, incidentally. Mm-hmm. Keep, you know, just keep being, um, so you've got an opportunity to give them a big gold star, which um, never is never a miss. It's, you can no. never give too many gold stars. And I, I, I love that that you, the, you. I've heard you speak about this before. The you know the the making their first day on the job something really special. So it's not just a case that they turn up and you're like, oh yeah, um, forgot you were coming. Uh, there's something to do over there. You know, you want you've gone to the trouble of finding this person, of, of weeding them out of all these people, of following up the references, and you want to keep them. So yeah. you know, make their first and day special. If there's a time gap between them accepting the job and starting. Um, Find out, see if there's any reason that you can get in touch with them in the in the interim, mm-hmm. because it, you, they've got buyer's remorse. They're sitting at home thinking, "Oh God, was I right to take that job? Oh God, I hope I hope it works out." Oh, oh no, you know, I couldn't bear it if I got another job like that one I had a few years back where it was all disaster. They've got buyer's remorse straight away. So anything that you can do to communicate with them, to let them know, to give them some free information before they come in, to let them know about. Um, spring offers anything that you can do to go you're now a member of our team we're looking forward to welcoming you is fantastic and then obviously prep the team before they come in you know Sheila started joining us on Monday um, and plan the induction period for her or your new staff member plan the induction period so that the team know exactly what they're doing that day and Sheila's going to know exactly what she's going to be doing that day the other tip with inductions is don't give them too much on the first day. There's, <laughs> there's only so much a brain can take in one day. Um, you know, space it out. Yeah. Space it out. Um, the first day, they're going to be worried about making an impression on you. So give mm. them an opportunity to make a really good impression on you and the team and your clients. And then give them a schedule of today we're going to show you how to do this, tomorrow we're going to show you how to do that, Thursday yep. we're going to show you how to do that. Um, and, of course, the most important thing of all is the first thing you ever teach anyone is here's the tea and coffee and, you know, here's, you know, all that kind of thing. So 
welcome, welcome, welcome. Phase in the induction. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely do probations. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, they've been they've been panicking about this day for uh, however long between the interview and now they've they've been worrying about a million different things that you've never even thought of. Um, yes. You know, probably their biggest worry was you know I'm I'm going to set off an hour early so that I'm definitely there on time and they've probably been waiting around yes. the corner because they didn't want to show up too early yeah, and, and all these yeah. millions of things. So yeah, absolutely, make their first day special. Don't overload them with with things and 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 don't forget to ask them a couple of weeks in. You've now seen the salon in operation. Mm-hmm. What were your first impressions? What do you think we could do to, to make it better? Okay. Because they've come in with fresh eyes. Yes. When, when when you're the salon owner and you've worked in it for years, you you get used to things. You don't see things from anew. But your new staff member does. Yeah. So your new staff member can say, well, I, I'm rather confused. Why are you doing it that way? Or, well... That's true. That's the, true. Back of, the back of the sa- well, actually, when you open the store cupboard, which clients can see, they see a mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know where everything is in the mess, mm-hmm. but the clients just see a mess. If you know what I mean. Got it. Yeah, yeah. That's so it. these insights, and it, it really um, helps them feel a contributing member of the team, and that you value their opinion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's to win-win. So you get that. Amazing opportunity to have those fresh eyes in your business. And yeah, like you say, it's nothing's going to make them feel more valued than you asking for their opinion. Exactly. And they have got those fresh eyes. Definitely utilize that. Um, The other thing is to, um, and this is what you do for your team all the way along, because you've thought about the attitude and the behaviors that you want to hire. You've hired someone really great. They've come in. Um, You've told your existing team about how you want to behave. You have got to constantly give your staff the message about who you as a collective team salon are and how you as a team behave. It's not a one-hit thing because you've got to constantly do it. Um, And um, it's rather like dieting. You know, I want to diet. Uh, I can decide to diet. But I have got to remind myself that I'm on a diet every day, three times a day, because there's three meals in a day. So every day, three times a day, I've got to look up, yeah, I'm on a diet. And then I've got to behave in a way. If I forget to do that, then my old habits of chocolate at four o'clock and all that kind of thing are going to come banging back in. So it's exactly the same thing when it comes to who you are as a salon. And I talk about the use of identity statements, which is we are people who, we are a salon who what we do is um, the way we leave our clients leaving is so that these are statements that you use all the time when you see someone performing well doing a little bit extra in in by way of say for example you've got um, a real excellence piece, a real excellent piece. And you see one of your staff members doing something extraordinary around the excellence piece. Step in and praise them. Yeah. Thank you. That's perfect. That's exactly who we are. That's what we do. That's what our clients come in for. That's how we make our money, is by providing this excellence of care. Um, and uh, it's a constant, constant, constant daily conversation piece that you have and your your job as a manager is to make the the same message sound fresh new and exciting 
Every day. And repeat it often. <laughs> Every single day. <laughs> oh, if you just say the same thing all the time, they're going to switch off and go, oh, she's off and again. Yeah. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Okay. I heard that before. It's a it's a tough well, role, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you touch yeah. you touch there on on almost sort of values of the company, principles of the company, yes. uh, and the brand and, and everything like that. And and I think that's yes. so important. And I think people overlook that in a small business because they think, oh, that you know that corporate identity thing that's for those you know that's for the Googles and the Coca Colas of the world. Um, but it's not because if you always want your staff to you're never going to be able to train your staff for every eventuality that's going to happen with a client whereas no. if you if you instill in them the 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 basic principles and values of the business and yes. they know that and that's reinforced every single day they're going to know how to well they're certainly going they to have a better can, idea they can that. perform on their own and they will yes. just naturally step into this is who they are um absolutely right absolutely right and the big corporate IDs, you know, the big corporates spend a lot of money on that corporate ID because they've got a real problem. They've got hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. They're trying to get a line behind one thing. You've got it easy because you've got six, seven members <laughs> of staff. <laughs> yeah, and it's much, much easier to do it because you can be in direct conversation with each member of staff as they, as they go on and speak. So, um, yeah, just be grateful. But the reason the big corporates do it is because they know that without it, people start pulling in different directions. They start doing what they think yep. the salon right. should be. Yep. And that's how come you can get into a situation where you own the salon, but it doesn't feel like yours. Yes, and I hear that so many times from, from managers, really do. So we'll get into the we'll get into the the business of actually how to uh, uh, how to approach and have these difficult conversations in a second. But there's two other just quick areas I want to to just touch upon. So we've we've brief, briefly talked there about um, the probationary period, but that kind of forms parts of um, procedures as well. And you know how important again I think this is a this is an overlooked thing by a lot of small businesses. But how important are procedures when it comes to effectively managing a team and either avoiding or having those difficult conversations right this is this is a difficult thing for an sme to get right and actually i've been i was speaking to the cipd a couple of weeks ago um they're the professional body for hr staff about can you give some guidance please for smes on what kind of procedures they need to have according Mm -hmm. to their size and they were like oh that's a good idea (laughs) yeah That would be kind of useful. It'll be useful, yeah. My thought on procedures is please do not try to write the rule book because you will never finish it and it will never be big enough. Having said that, there are some procedures that you do need. Okay. And um, you do need the, the whole thing about procedures is to help people make, is to help people feel safe because if they feel safe, then they can be creative and they can give service. Mm -hmm. If they're fearful or frightened or uncertain, then their performance can get impacted. So to have an induction process so that people know what's happening, to have a probation uh, policy so people know that they're going to get a meeting in three months Mm -hmm. and that their employment will be confirmed. These are all things of safety. These are all things that are creating safety in the workplace, psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Um, You do need a a contract of employment, which talks Mm -hmm. about the usual things of um, how much money, what your job description is, when you're going to get paid, what termination 
how much holiday can you take? Um, what sickness pays you? All that needs to be clear because that's safety. Yeah. I know then what my contract is. Um, you need to be very clear about what good looks like in your salon because, again, that creates safety. I know what I need to deliver in order to be rewarded and validated and appreciated in, in this salon. Therefore, I, I, I've got safety. You also need to have a process for when things go wrong because that, again, creates yeah. safety. Now, you do not need to have a written disciplinary policy. If you don't have a written disciplinary policy, you are uh, assumed, it's assumed that you will follow the ACAS guidelines. That's ACAS, A-C-A-S, ACAS guidelines. Um, uh, They're written a bit, they're a bit cumbersome in the way they're written, but actually you can understand them, which is brilliant. Um, But the real rule of thumb for disciplinary or, or, telling people that something is wrong is that it starts with informal conversations before it ever gets to a formal process. Right. Don't ever go straight to a formal process. You right. start with informal. There are occasions when you go straight to a formal process, but that's, that's things like theft mm. or, um, you know, harassment or abuse, you know, those serious. Yeah. yeah the very serious things, the very serious things, but for the vast majority it's informal first. Informal and this all comes back to the stuff we've been talking about already. If you've if you've hired the right people and, and given the right message across and reinforced that, yeah. it should be then, more of an informal. Then it's so easy to pull someone aside and say, you know, I've been talking about our high standards, excellent standards of service. That's who we are around here. I need to let you know that I have recently witnessed you falling short of that. Okay. Okay. So before we dive completely into that, one last thing that I just want to bring up, because I think it's a, I don't want to call it a rookie mistake, because I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a rookie mistake or even a huge mistake, but I think it's a, it's slightly a trap. It's something that I think a lot of small business owners, particularly in the, the salon world, because it sort of attracts a creative, caring type of person. And yeah. that is the role of you as a manager. We've, we've been talking about oh. team and I, and I love that we're talking about team and we're not talking about staff necessarily, but it's the role of a manager when it comes to where's that line? Where's that line okay. between these people are working okay. with you and for you, but where does it stop? Okay. Excellent point because this is what happens with small um, businesses all the time. You go in and you treat them as family. Yes. Well, they're not family. They are not family. Or you go in and treat them as friends. No, they're not friends either. They are your employees. You have to have a family that is your family outside of work, and you have to have a really good friendships outside of work. You have to get your personal emotional need for friendship met outside of work if you're the manager. Um, so one of my first business targets is to have social engagements in my week in my diary every week okay because i need to be i can't be friends with my clients i have to be friends with my friends mm-hmm. i can go and complain to my friends i can win <laughs> to my friends i can go oh it's totally unfair and this is awful i can be totally non-pc with my friends um, <laughs> but i can't do any of that with my clients or my staff the 
the rookie mistake that a lot of first-time managers make is that they want to be liked by their staff. Mm. Well, no, don't, don't, don't try that. Don't try that. The, the, the thing to aim for is to be respected by your staff because you, there will be times when you'll have to make a decision that you don't like. You don't like, but from the business perspective, you need to make that decision. So, um, but you can definitely be respected by the way in which you make that decision and communicate that decision. Um, and you can be respected for taking the tough line. You can be respected for holding a boundary and saying, no, this is how we behave in this salon. This is what, this is the image that we portray and this is what we are all going to do. Um, people will respect you for that. They may minge and moan, but they will respect you for that. And the funny thing is that once people respect you, they are far, far more likely to like you. Yeah, that's really strange, isn't it? Because they don't necessarily want a family member at work. They want someone... No, they don't need a family member at work. They shouldn't have a family member at work. It's not appropriate. It's not the place for that emotional need to be met. Mm -hmm. This is the place of work. Yes, it's respectful. Yes, you have fun together. Yes, you work hard, you achieve... Um, you gain a lot of satisfaction from it. It's not family. It's not friendship. It's right. work. Okay. So don't try to be the parent. Don't try to be the counsellor. No. Nope. Nope. Manager. You need yep. to be, I guess you need to be understanding, but your job then is to... You start. can be understanding. If someone comes to you with a marriage breakdown, mm-hmm. then there's, there's a couple of roles that you do in that situation. One, you're a human being yeah (laughs) talking to another human being who's going through a tough time and you may have been through something similar yourself so have got some understanding of what they're going through Mm -hmm. number two you're a manager so you can talk about look i can offer you some flexibility around time or i can i you know whatever um you so you can talk about what you can give them as a manager as a manager as a business owner um, and then the only thing that you can do really in that case is signpost them onto professional support. Yes. You should never attempt to counsel. No. Um, send them to relate, send them to mind, send them to, I don't know where, just if, if, if they're in pieces, then you do a Google research and say, yep. go to this place. Give them the options. Yeah. But right. don't counsel them because you will never finish that job uh, and it, yeah let a professional do it absolutely yeah. okay so i've just noticed the time i've noticed where we've got yes. to i think all of this has been uh, hugely hugely useful but what i think if it's okay with you sue we'll do we will come back to this again next week because i think yes. all of this was was incredibly useful in terms of foundational stuff but if it's okay with you we'll come back next week and we'll talk about actually you know in those, if you've done all this bit right and you do need to still have those difficult conversations, how to actually approach those. Perfect. Look forward to it. See, once we got talking about this, it was clear that this is a much bigger topic than we could do justice to in just one conversation alone. So as you heard there, we're going to make this a two-parter. So today's episode covered very much the foundations of weeding out this need for difficult conversations in your salon or spa. And I think it's a really great place to take that time to go and take a look, you know, a real look at your own business. Have you taken the time to hire correctly in the first place? Or did you make some of those rookie mistakes that we talked about? Do you have 
procedures in place, basic ones? Are you trying to be too much of a friend or a family member too often to your team rather than a manager? Have you clearly communicated to your team what you expect of them? You know, your values, your principles, both that that you hold yourself and also those you want to instill into your business. Do your team know what you expect of them. Now take this week to really look at those things in your business and when we come back next week we will indeed share everything, absolutely everything you need to know about exactly how to have those difficult conversations and when to have them as well because that can often be an issue. When to simply have a quick word with someone and when it actually needs that more formal meeting. So we'll cover everything you need to know, including what to say, how to start off the conversation, where to have the meeting, how to end it, and what you need to do after the meeting as well to make it a really positive experience, both for you and for your team member as well, so that you actually get the results, get the change, get the transformation that you want from your team member from having the conversation in the first place. So I hope you will join me back here a week from now for part two of how to have difficult conversations with your team here on the Beauty Business Podcast. See you next week.